0: Today, I want to talk to you about a few of my favorite people in the Christmas story. But as I talk to you about them, it'll be real easy to objectify these people rather than recognize that you and I are in this story as well. We may not be the exact duplicate of these people that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about five of them very briefly, so don't get panicky. I know that it's going to be brief, but I'm going to talk about five of them, but of all of these people in here, you could take a little bit from one, a little bit from the other, and get a composite of your life, a composite of my life in this story. The power of Christmas is not the nativity. The power of Christmas is not the fact that Jesus was a baby. The power of Christmas is what Jesus came to do for us at Calvary. The power of Christmas is that God became a man and came and dwelt among us. And you might ask how you did that. Well, that's another sermon for another time, but that's a great question that the God of the universe could literally become God and become man at the same too. And what I want to do in today's message is show you what he came to do for each of us as we look at these people's lives. And Advent, as I shared with the Downriver Prayer Breakfast on Sunday morning, a Friday morning, and by the way, you need to go online, I don't know what the link is, but if you'll just Google Downriver Prayer Breakfast, Dave Wilson, Dave Wilson of Kensington Church just preached a powerful message, and you will love that story, you'll love the message that he preached, but you want to, to listen to that. But Advent, as I shared with them, is where we look back at what Christ had done for us when God became a man, but it's when the Old Testament saints looked forward to what God was going to do. And now together with them, we look forward to the second Advent when Jesus will come again, what we call the second return of Christ. And what I want us to do this year is not rush Christmas I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves. I want us to ponder and to think and to apply to ourselves what was the power of this message? It caused Old Testament saints to persevere. Because we're celebrating listen, we're celebrating Christmas and not Jesus. And there's a reason that we call it Christmas. We call it Christmas because Christ is the title of who Jesus was. He is our Messiah. He is the one that we expected to come and to save us from our sins. Jesus is who he was in his human form when he became one of us. And so to really understand the story of Advent and Christmas, you have to read, listen, this is important, you have to read Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and you have to read Luke chapter 1 through 3, and to get and capture what these genealogies are all about. The genealogies are more than just a list of names. But they're your story they're my story they're our story it's the story of the world when you look at those genealogies and i know i know and i love you and i'll tell you at times i've done the same thing some of you have come to me and says you know pastor i love it when i get to a genealogy in my yearly bible reading because i skip all over that and it helps me catch up with where i've fallen behind And I know that for most of us it's a list of names, but friends, there is a story behind each of those names. Matthew, as you know, was a tax collector, he was an accountant, he was very detailed. And Matthew was the most read gospel for the first three centuries of the church. It was the most quoted gospel for the first three centuries of the church. Because Matthew really deals with the humanity of Jesus as well as the Jewishness of Jesus. Because the early church started as a Jewish church and as they were reaching out to lost people. Luke, however, Luke was a a physician, a scientist. Luke was studying medicine, he was studying science, he was trying to figure out what was behind all of the diseases, and so Luke deals with a lot of facts where Matthew will deal with a lot of prophecies about the historicity of Christ. Matthew was trilingual, I'm sure, because of being a tax collector, he had to be able to speak Greek, he had to be able to speak Roman, and he had to be able to speak Hebrew as well, and probably Aramaic, so probably four languages that Matthew could speak, but Luke was probably a slave because most physicians were slaves in those days, but not the type of slavery that we had here in the the American South. what our civil war was fought over they were respected members of the family and their lives like my life as a pastor is given to the study of the word and prayer and ministry to the church luke's life was given to the study of medicine and the study of science and diseases and illnesses and people's bodies and so when we look at these genealogies as i'm going to read some to you this morning I want you to be careful and remember, if you can, your Old Testament stories because you're going to see dilemmas, you're going to see traumas, you're going to see challenges, you're going to see failures, you're going to see victories, but most of all, you're going to see the amazing grace of God. Can you say amen to that? Because just like if my name was in this genealogy or your name was in this genealogy, our lives consist of dilemmas and challenges and traumas and victories and failures. But above all, it's the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's the story of everyone's genealogy that we have. The second thing I want you to get before I read this is... Most genealogies in those days, they would have avoided a lot of the names in this genealogy. For instance, they would have avoided the name of Jecononai because he was an awful, wicked, cruel king. They would have avoided the name of Rahab, the harlot or the prostitute. But instead... Jesus is proud and he's happy to include all of them like you and me in his genealogy. And I think that's something for us to get all excited about. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? He includes all of our names. So stand with me if you would. I'm going to read just a portion of the genealogy from Matthew chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now you can tell, obviously, with the ellipsis marks in there, that I've skipped a lot of names, because these are five names that I want us to latch on for the Christmas story today. Father... Just a few moments ago, I reminded us that, Lord, we stand in an unusual place today, one foot in the kingdom and one foot in this world. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ, and yet we have been sent into this lost world. Father, we have access to the power and the resources of heaven by the grace and the love of God to come and to bring healing and hope and the news of salvation to lost people around the world. So I ask you in the next few minutes, would you speak to our hearts and prepare us to do what we sang this morning, to go out of this place and to shout it from the rooftops that Christ has come, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I read these genealogies, I'm reminded of something that's true of all of us, that as human beings, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us, one day, unless Jesus returns first, all of us will go the way of the grave. As human beings, that curse of sin was visited upon us because of the first Adam. But when I read this genealogy and I come to the last person in this list that Jesus Born Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus born to save us from our sins. I'm reminded that that God has broken the power of sin. God has broken the power of death. God has redeemed us from the curse. God has even broken those powers that sometimes we find ourselves controlled by in our personalities. And we wonder why we do the things that we do. And God has come to deliver us from that. Jesus has come into this world to take people like myself, people like you, and to show us what our lives can really be. Just a few weeks ago as I was praying about this message and thinking about it. I remember I was on my way to the hospital to pray with someone, and while I'm driving down the road, I absolutely lost my situational awareness. I can't even tell you about the drive because suddenly it just hit me so real that Jesus Christ had come into this world to show me what kind of man of love, what kind of woman of love you could become, what kind of person of grace and forgiveness, what kind of person who walks in victory, what kind of person who could bring healing and hope to other people. Jesus simply elevates us to become what He created us to be. Can you say amen to that? Because when we read these genealogies, all of us are there, whether we're redeemed or whether we're not redeemed. I know some people that I talk to that are crossing their fingers. They're hoping there's a God. They've never committed their lives personally to Jesus Christ, but they're hoping there's a God, and they're hoping that somehow or another things will work out after they die. But to admit and to say that I'm a sinner and confess her sins and give their hearts to Jesus, that's a bridge they're not willing to cross yet. I meet other people from time to time that are like myself, that they're passionate followers of Christ, and maybe for three days, they're walking on a spiritual high, they know that they're more than conquerors through Christ, they know that God has empowered them by the Holy Spirit, but something happens in their life, it may be a temptation, it may be a failure, it may be frustration, something happens, and for the next three days, they walk around feeling like God has just abandoned them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have those spiritual highs and those spiritual lows. Last night, I couldn't quite settle down after the ball game. It was tough, I'm telling you. So Becky turned on some YouTube video for me to watch about people surfing 108-foot waves off the shores of Portugal. And they were successfully searching those waves. And I thought to myself, I know she means well, but this is not helping. They're surfing 108-foot waves, and we could not beat Alabama. <laughs> But the fact of the story is, we all have those times, and I reminded myself when I went to sleep last night, we just broke the all time record. We've 29 straight wins. We broke Bear Bryant's record, the coach of Alabama. We've twice national champions, and all I could look at is one lousy, stinking, foolish loss to Alabama last night. God help me. Do you know what I'm talking about? For three days you walk in great victory and then three days you're at the very bottom. Dave Wilson was talking about how many years and how many losses that he suffered with the Detroit Lions as he was their chaplain. Over 300 games, and he served, I forget how many years with them, and he has no Super Bowl rings to show for it. And some kid that he mentored went to some losing team, and that very year, they won a Super Bowl ring. Sometimes it seems like God is not fair. Can you say amen to that? It just seems like God is not fair. So during Advent, I want you to see along with me that Jesus is not ashamed of my failures because it's because of my sins and my failures that Christ came into this world. He came to save people like me. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11. This genealogy teaches me the truth of this verse. He purifies people from their sins, and both He and those who are made pure all have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his family. Would you read that last sentence with me? That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his family. One more time, please. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his family. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of anyone in here. He's not ashamed of me this morning. And as a matter of fact, the people that I'm going to talk about, they're listed just a few chapters later in the book of Hebrews. It's like the writer of Hebrews is setting us up to recognize that Jesus is not ashamed of any of us. He suffered. He was our substitute at Calvary. And he did it all because he wanted you to have the most wonderful life. Look, I'm a very, very imperfect dad. I'm a very, very imperfect husband. But if it were up to me, I would control my children's lives. I would control my wife's life if that was possible so that she could have the most wonderful and perfect life there ever was. I'm a very imperfect pastor, but if it was up to me and not up to God, if I could control your life, you would have the most perfect life possible. No sickness, no illness, no death, no failure. But that is not the way life works. Jesus takes imperfect dads like me and says, you will mess it up, but if you will let me... I will go with you through every trial and every temptation. I will never be ashamed of your successes or your failures. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. That is the power of the gospel. His love triumphs over my sins. His love triumphs over everything in my life. So there's no need for me to live defensively. There's no need for me to live critically. There's no need for me to live judgmentally. There's only this call in my life to live joyfully because I am safe and secure in Christ. Somebody say amen again this morning. That's the power of the gospel and what it means for God not to be ashamed of you today. Let me just tell you something, and I hadn't prepared to say this, but I just, I feel like I need to say this. You may be watching online, it may be here in church this morning, but I want you to know something. You cannot measure success by things that don't matter in this life you can't measure success by your degree you can't measure your success by how much money you make you can't measure your success by whether you drive a a, a, a bentley or mercedes or porsche you can't measure your success by whether you have a timex or rolex the only way you can measure success is by hearing jesus say well done thou good and faithful servant. That is the only way you'll ever be able to measure success. And yet, if we're not careful, so many of us get called up in trying to measure our success by things that don't really matter at all. So the second thing I'd like you to hear from this is that Jesus makes me the person I was created to be. And that's why these five people have such a moving story in the Christmas story today or in the Advent story. Because these five people show me what God wants to do for every one of us. Look with me at Romans chapter five and verse 17 and verse 21 this morning. All, that's you and me, all who receive God's abundant grace and are freely put right with Him will rule in life through Christ. Underline that in your outline this morning. Will rule in life. In other words, he will make you the head and not the tail. He will make you the overcomer and not the overcome. He will give you victory in this life. He said to Joshua, walk around this land, meditate in my law, do all that it says to do, and I will give you good success. So all who receive God's abundant grace are freely put right with him will rule in life through Christ. So, say that word with me, so then just as sin ruled by means of death So also, God's grace rules by means of righteousness, leading us to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness, but the righteousness of God revealed in Christ Jesus. Can we give him another hand of praise for that today? His righteousness in life. Recently, I was asked on an airplane how I could be so confident of heaven. And I, asked the per- I answered the person that was asking me that question. I said, it's just very simple. When I get to heaven, I will not try to tell God about anything I have done. I don't deserve there. I'll be like a, mule in the Kentucky Derby. I don't belong, but I'm really happy to be there. But I am going to look at the king, and I'm going to say, God, the reason I'm here is because of what Jesus did at Calvary. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave, he said, if I would commit my life to him and believe in what he'd done, that I would have a place here, not as a servant, not as a slave, but as your adopted son. I am here because of Jesus Christ. It's not your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. So let's look at these five people quickly. Tamar was a victim of injustice. And I really don't want to get into these individual stories too deep this morning, but Tamar was a neglected woman. Tamar was a woman who had been wronged. She had two deaths of her husband. She was denied by her father-in-law of the third son that would have given her the right to bear a child. That would kind—that of, was the social security of the day. She did something unthinkable. It's the reason that when you read the the story that we just read, that you read the story uh, of, of 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 Tamar, that it does not go into detail that that her husband was the that the father of her children was her husband. She just said something unthinkable there. But she did it because it was the only way she knew how to get justice. And God is not justifying what she did. God is justifying Tamar because of what Christ did. Can you say amen to that? She ended up putting her faith in God. Listen, we don't live on a hill called Mount Calvary. When I was studying in Jerusalem, I remember looking up at that that mountain where they say Calvary is and thinking, boy, that is so lonely. I would love to be up there. And I have been on the top of mountains where crosses have been erected and crucifixes have been erected. But Jesus dwells in the valley. Jesus dwells in the slums. Jesus dwells in the schools. Jesus dwells not on a cross, but since he rose from the dead, he dwells with people like Tamar and you and me. Somebody say amen again. Second person I want you to see is Rahab. Rahab was bound by a destructive lifestyle. She had an inn. She was a harlot. She was known as the harlot of Jericho, or a prostitute. It was in the wall of the city, which meant that she wasn't accepted inside the city, but because she provided services to travelers and to people that would sneak out at night in Jericho, they allowed her to keep her brothel, or to keep her inn there in the walls of Jericho. She lived a life of destructive habits. It was a pattern of life that I'm sure she didn't want. Look at me. Hear me real carefully on this. When I worked to mental health, I worked with a lot of prostitutes. I never met a prostitute who aspired to be a prostitute. As a pastor, I've met a lot of women working the streets and talked with them. I've never met a woman who said, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. I've met girls that were pimped out by their parents. I've met girls that were pimped out by somebody that got them addicted to drugs. But I've never met a single woman bound in that lifestyle because they wanted to be bound there. But Jesus meets us where we're at, and he breaks the bonds that hold us and these destructive life patterns and Rahab became not only a member of the tribe of Israel because she had faith when faithless Israel didn't have faith don't ever forget that the reason that Israel was there is because Israel did not have the faith to go into the promised land but Israel believed God, but Rahab believed God even when Israel did it somebody say amen to that Don't you ever underestimate the power of what people's faith can do, who are living in places that you and I never want to live in or dream in. Third, Ruth was an immigrant from a despised tribe. I've often wondered how these immigrant children feel when they're being shouted at and screamed at, even though they've entered our country illegally, bought by their parents. I have wondered how people have felt. And I pray to God that it is not Christians that are the ones that are doing the screaming. Do I believe we should have defensible borders? Absolutely. But we should never speak to people created in the image of God in derating and hateful ways. Ruth came to Israel. She was a remember, a member of a despised tribe. She came to Israel without nothing. She came to Israel with nothing to her name, and all she could do was glean from the edges of fields that had been harvested. But Jesus was happy to include her in his lineage of faith because this despised tribal woman became also a member of Jesus' family. Bathsheba was victimized. I grew up hearing about how Bathsheba was a seductress and how she took a bath in a public place so that David, who stayed home during the time of war, would desire her. And yet, the more I study biblical archeology span and biblical history, the story doesn't live up to that. Because Hebrew women would have been stoned for bathing in a public place like that. Secondly, Hebrew women were much more modest than that. And those of you who've read your Bibles, you know that. Somehow or another, David, she caught a glimpse of her, whatever she was doing, he sent for her. You either answered the king's bid or your head was on the chopping block. He not only wanted sexual relationships, whether he had her, sent her home, had her husband murdered and then took her as his wife. You talk about a me-too victim. You talk about a victim of the system. The Bible has those stories. And then finally, you look at David. He was a victimizer. David was the one that was the me-too violator. David was the one that violated another man's wife. David was the one that had her husband murdered. And David was the one that found grace and mercy in the eyes of God because he didn't try to justify himself. He confessed his sin and he admitted it sin. And when he confessed his sin, God forgave him. And it was Bathsheba's son that became Solomon, the king of Israel. And it was Bathsheba who was a great, 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 great grandmother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody say, come on victory today. (laughs) Hallelujah. This is Jesus's family tree, Rahab, Tamar, David. They're all there. And I'm sorry to get so excited this morning. But the reason I'm excited is because these stories tell me Jesus is not ashamed to have his name connected with mine. Even though some days I may have three days up and I may have three days down. Jesus is not ashamed to have his name connected with mine. And finally this morning, God shows me the possibilities that are mine in Jesus Christ. And those possibilities are unlimited. I want you to listen to me this morning because our good friends to the north of us in Canada, a survey done in 2020, an Angus Reid survey, a poll done in Canada. Now, this is not just the Canadians. I think this speaks to us as North Americans. 51% of our Canadian friends thought that using plastic straws was morally wrong. thought that doctor-assisted suicide was morally wrong 26% thought that abortion was morally wrong so if I read that correctly 80% of our northern friends and I'm sure it's the same in America think that using a plastic straw at McDonald's or Wendy's is more evil than euthanizing your grandmother. If I read that correctly, 74% of our Canadian friends, and I'm sure it's true of America, think that aborting a baby is not as evil as using a plastic straw at McDonald's or Wendy's. You see, family is why I constantly point to the cross the further we get away from the cross and the value that Jesus puts on human beings' lives, the further we get from the reality of what is really evil and what is not evil. I try not to use plastic straws just simply because I like paper better. But the further we get from Calvary, the further we get from Advent, and the more we make Christmas about office parties and lights and trees and sleigh bells and, and I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, silly Hallmark movies, the less we understand what Advent and Christmas is all about. When I read statistics like this that should shock us, but we know it's true that I realize we have lost the unlimited possibilities that God wants for us. Aren't we tired of being told we can't be a great people again? Aren't we tired of being told that we've reached the limit of what we can do scientifically, technologically, what we can do as Christians or as the church? Aren't we tired of people trying to put lids on our lives and and then make us ashamed of things that we believe like life matters, marriage matters, like lost people matter to God? Aren't we tired of being told that? That's what makes the Christmas story so powerful that Jesus is not ashamed of you or me, even if we were the one that once believed that using a plastic straw was more morally objectionable than euthanizing your granny. Because these are the people the church is made up of. But when God adopts you into his family, you get the full benefits. You get the full freedom of what it means to be a child of God. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Circle that word, the kingdom, right there. He has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, in your outline, write out to the side the family of God. That's the church. But I want you to write another word out there. He's been pleased to give you the franchise. Okay, he's been pleased to give you the franchise. I've never owned a franchise. There are people in our church that they've they've owned franchises. But let me tell you a little bit of what I think I know about a franchise. And you can talk to others to find out if I'm accurate on this. And I'm gonna use maybe Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's. And you're going, oh, fast food, really? Can't you do better than that? Listen, I have been in countries where you are absolutely thrilled to see a Colonel Sanders hanging up on a sign. I have been in places where you're thrilled to see the golden arches. You think you've gotten to heaven almost. But you see, when you become a part of a franchise, you have the right to use the name. Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, or God's Chicken, Chick-fil-A. Come on, you know it's true. You've got the right to use the name. And I've got the right to use the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I pray for people to be healed. In the name of Jesus, I pray for people to be set free. In the name of Jesus, you bless people. In the name of Jesus, you pray for them to be healed. Because you have one foot in the kingdom, and you have one foot in this world, because you were a bridge into this world, bringing the franchise or the family benefits. You're bringing the kingdom of heaven into this lost world we live in. I'm grateful for the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? I am grateful that there is a sign that recognizes that somehow or another we have the right to the resources of the kingdom of heaven. I know that if I walk into a Kentucky fried chicken in Africa or in Asia and I want crispy fried chicken, I'm going to get crispy fried chicken because that's what Kentucky fried chicken is all about. Notice I didn't say India. There's a reason for that. It's those chickens are not as sacred there in Africa and other places as they are in India. But when I walk into kentucky fried chicken i get the crispy fried chicken that i want i know that the that there are not going to be golden arches in heaven and that's okay There are going to be golden streets in heaven you see you get the right to the franchise and i know there's a consistency i know that there is a consistency because of what it means so when i think about this I think about the power of God that has been given to us. We have an energy that is not our own, that is found in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the name of Jesus Christ that God has given to us, that whatsoever we ask in His name, according to His will, He will do. It's why in Psalms 96 and verse 2, on this Advent beginning, of first Sunday of Advent, I want you to read this with me and stand with me if you would this morning. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Here's what I want you to know. Christ has come. As the old song says, as Emmanuel, God with us, pleased as man with men to dwell, and that's what we are looking forward to, and that's what our lost friends do not know about Christmas anymore, and it's your job and my job to share that with them, and if you'll look at your growth work real quickly, all it means is just simply believe in the Lord Jesus. Let your lost friends know what Jesus did for them, what Emmanuel means, that it's not jesus must it's Christmas, only the Christ, the Messiah, could come and reign, and that's who Jesus is. I know so many people who have come to know Christ and trust in Christ simply because of explaining the difference to them in that. Second thing is, whatever has broken you, I've often tried to figure out how Rahab was kicked out of the city and had to live in a wall. But in the sovereignty of God, she said to two spies from Israel, we have heard about the great things God has done for you. And they said, if you will just simply hang a red cord out your window, when we come, (laughs) you're going to be spared. They marched around the walls seven times and the walls of Jericho fell, but where a red cord hung out the window of a harlot's home, that home was spared. And she married into the tribe of Israel. And she became one of the grandmothers of Jesus. I've sometimes tried to figure out what broke somebody. Do I understand Judah? Do I understand his superstitions for denying Tamar the justice that she was entitled to? Have you ever been afraid to do what is right? Have you ever been afraid to do what you know God wants you to do? If you say no, you're lying. Because there have always been all of us have had those times where we've been afraid to do what is right. What we know God would have us to do. But Judah in his fear denied Tamar justice. The only righteous thing that Judah is remembered for is that when he found out that he was the one that had committed injustice, he said, I'm the guilty one. I'm the guilty one. There is power in confessing our sins. So Judah is in the ancestry of Jesus. Jesus and Bathsheba as a little boy I remember asking my mama one time daddy was driving and you just knew better than to ask daddy two spiritual questions you always ask mama the real spiritual questions and I said mama I'm in the back seat do you remember doing that when you rode in the back seat everybody came to church in the same car I said mama if Bathsheba was naked And she made David do something dirty. Why is she the grandmother of Jesus? Mama said, we're not going to talk about that right now. (laughs) You see, there's just some things we don't want to talk about. But that's what Advent is all about. Your life and my life. He's not ashamed to call us his family. Dan standing over here to the right. He went to Arizona. He and his wife didn't send me any really pretty pictures from Arizona. All they did was send me pictures of some of my ancestor outlaws who got all shot up in the O.K. Corral. I felt no love in that whatsoever, Dan. (laughs) All of us, we've got family trees that have been damaged. And what I want you to do, I want you to accept God's invitation to you. Into his family this morning. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe that you died to forgive me of my sins, and I receive you, and God will adopt you into his family. So would you bow your heads online, unless you're driving and here in the church? Heavenly Father, I was a broken, broken, damaged man. And Jesus, I'm so ashamed of my sins. I'm so ashamed, Lord, of my sins that I've committed even since having received your gift of eternal life. But I'm so thankful to know today that you're not ashamed of me or anyone in this room or anyone who's watching or listening online today. So I ask for the gift of faith in people's lives right now to trust that Jesus died for their sins, Lord, to invite you to come into their hearts and lives, and Lord, to lift them up to become all that you created them to be. So while every head is bowed, if that's you this morning, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to dwell with me, to love me, and to take my place by dying for my sins. I don't understand it all, but something has happened inside of me. I believe in you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. Forgive me of all my sins. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that today? This morning while I was praying, I had a thought. And to my wife, my children, grandchildren, to you, to everyone watching, I want you to know I am an infinitely better man because of Jesus Christ. I chose those words, care. I am an infinitely, the possibilities are unlimited, better man because of Jesus. But if I have ever communicated to anyone that because of God's grace to me that I am better than you or anyone that doesn't even trust in Jesus Christ like some of my lost friends. I want to apologize from the core of my being. For Christians are not better people. As Frederick Buechner said in his book, The ABCs of Faith, we're just better informed people. We're not better people. We are just saved people by the grace of God, and the possibilities are unlimited for our life. Can you say amen? God bless you. May the Lord just watch over you, give you a wonderful Advent season. Go in peace today. Amen.